Hello and welcome to the first episode of Free Speech Nation, the podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. Every week I'm going to be talking to a guest about what they make of the increasingly illiberal world we now inhabit. Today my guest is the fantastic comedian Jeff Norcox. Jeff is one of those rare beasts, a right-wing comedian who actually admits it. He's appeared on Mock the Week, on Live at the Apollo, he was a regular on the Mash Report and he's even done a few stints on Question Time. And now he's released his memoir, Where Did I Go Right? How the Left Lost Me. Good title. Thanks, mate. It was two titles, really, isn't it? It is two. Yeah, you're having your cake and eating. We were just throwing titles at a wall. Yeah. It was six titles originally, and we whittled it down. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it's gone all right, man. It's been a good experience getting it out there. I mean, you say about a right-wing comedian that admits it. Yeah. There'd be a lot of people say that admitting it has been advantageous. I I admit it as often as I can. Well, I mean, it's done you all right, hasn't it? It's done me okay, but it certainly didn't seem like that at the beginning, I'll be honest. Well, that, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, you use the metaphor of coming out almost like yeah. coming out as gay is sort of similar to coming out as a right-wing I, comic. I did that in the you, book. You actually I? do that in the book, well, yeah. That's problematic, isn't it? Well, I'm deeply offended by that. Yeah, uh, I'm saying... Speaking on behalf of the whole gay community, as you I can, should, apparently. You should speak on behalf of every single one. Every, we're all the same. We all have the same thoughts about everything. <laughs> you must know this. That's how it works. Um, but because you, you, your book has a broader purpose, though, which isn't, you know, which is about why do we think the way we think? What, like, why do we have the views that we have? Yeah. Why is it that you come from a, a working class background? Everyone would expect, and probably still does to a degree, that you would be a Labour voter. That yeah. you would be, like, yeah, council estate upbringing, dabbers trade union man, both parents disabled. That for a long time has been like a set of presumptions, and in some way it was seen as kind of like going off the beaten track. Yeah. To think this way. So you, you're right, it's, not, it's something that not a lot of people have picked up on. Because what I'm trying to investigate is bias yes. and how it's formed. Because I definitely have bias. I am biased. We've all got bias. But, but do you think almost that, that you've been formed, like you're such a product of your culture and your background, yeah. that in a way you don't have a choice the way you think? Are you a bit, or, have you, or do you think you have been critical and th- thought about politics and thought about these things and come to your own resolution? I think that there's a bit of that. But one of the things that the book highlighted to me was there were little small C conservative moments, even quite early in life. And I don't know where that comes from in your personality. Maybe you've got like a bit of judgy DNA or a kind of... <laughs> personal responsibility chromosome or something but I believe that some of it is intuitively there in people and and so that lays a a sort of bedrock for who you're going to be and even even when I mean it was in the book but even when I voted with a lot of conviction for Blair in 97 I don't regret that I still think that's the right thing to do Um, but when Michael Portillo was unseated was it Kensington and Chelsea and the whole country were laughing and I just felt a bit sorry for him you felt bad for him yeah I just thought oh and I thought something's wrong here because at the time I was living in a council house in Mitcham, I could hear people celebrating down the street, and I was just thinking, "Oh, he's probably doing yeah, his you know, best." That's the first. Why am I sympathising with Michael Portillo? That's a bad lefty, right? Because yeah. you know you're meant to see the Tories as like these demonic entities that are undeserving of empathy. You see them as human beings, or yeah, always did, even when you were voting. I think so, but I suppose one of the reasons for that was because I went to Rutledge School in Wimbledon, yeah. and that's, that gave the world John Major as a Prime Minister. So the narrative that the, the Tories were an exclusive place that despised working-class people might... Listen, in the early 90s, there were definitely some Tory MPs that did feel that way, yeah. but it was certainly challenged to a degree by the existence of John Major and his yeah. big shoulders. Yeah, he did have He's big shoulders. very big shoulders. One of the most underestimated things about John Major is his physical heft in reality. Yeah. Spitting image made us think he could have sat on your lap. Like a little grey 
midget thing, but actually he was more like Dolph Lundgren. He was more like... In, in real life. A yeah. political Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. I don't think... Uh, I was about to confuse Dolph Lundgren with Ivan Drago, but to me they are... Well, they are one and the same, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're pretty much the same guy. But yeah. he, was a big, he was a big figure for me, and that sounds odd. You know, someone who's kind of like... Uh, bland as John Major but it, it was important I so guess. he went to your school because you mentioned he came back he comes back to visit or came back to visit your he, school he did a speech night, yeah. and that some of the female members of staff found him quite well, charismatic which we wouldn't expect yeah no well then and but given now what we know about John Major well yes it's interesting his legacy is quite strong at the moment but and you know if you compare him against someone like Boris Johnson's morality yeah you would look at John Major and think now there goes a moral guy whereas Boris Johnson not so much I think he did have an affair, John Major. Yes, with Edwina Curry, and he was. Ladies liked him. So, but it's it's a it's a perception thing, isn't it? Yeah. Certainly, Boris has done things that deserve scrutiny. But for some reason, John Major has emerged unscathed. So much of it is to do with reputation, the reputation that gets formed around you, particularly in politics, yeah. uh, which is which is rarely close to the truth. Um, I wanted to get onto this political thing because you mentioned this. Well, it is a transition, is it? Because you. You know, you, you say yourself you voted Labour, you felt a kind of instinctive connection with Labour, mostly due to your father. Mm-hmm. There's a really nice running thread in the book, which I really like, about how you will tell your dad. You know, you've, you've already admitted it on stage to all these strangers, but telling your dad is, is the big thing. Well, um, he, like a lot of people in the comedy community, he was like, it's a good angle, son. Yes. <laughs> Stick with it. And I had a lot of colleagues that kind of thought that at the beginning. I think now, Didn't they? A lot of them thought this was a cynical kind of... Quite a few, quite a few. They, they would often say things like, you know, more on Facebook and stuff. Because I didn't have a public profile then. Yeah, it was yeah. like, oh, we know you're just trying to build your brand and stuff like that. And then, you know, beyond comedy, there were some people that just thought it was, you know, a character act. And all but that's sort of... amazing. I mean, that's almost like saying that the only way you could possibly disagree with yeah. us is that if you're lying about it. Yeah, it's or, like <laughs> in this weird paradigm. But it's sort of like, well, at least what I'd like people to admit now is if it was an act, I, I deserve You've nailed it. a BAFTA yeah. for staying in character since 2013, yeah. you know, without breaking character once. And, you know, look, if, if I was a character, then picking the same name, voice, opinions and worldview, I think that was a smart choice. Wasn't Very it? smart. It's enabled me to really inhabit, you know, yeah. to go fully method. The role, yeah, brilliant. I mean, there's a really good story that you mentioned in the book, this anecdote, which really resonated with me. You'll get why. It's when you're, you're performing at the Manchester Comedy Store mm-hmm. and you get chatting to a couple after the, the, the show in the bar and you go for yeah. a drink. And then you mention that you voted Tory. Uh, now, I've never voted Tory, but uh, I've had this experience with the Brexit vote because I was pro-Brexit. When people find out they kind of edge away like you're a serial killer or something like that. And you yeah. say that she literally left, went to the toilet, texted her partner... And he just left as well. It was that abrupt. Yeah, it was a fairly sort of violent moral reaction um, yeah. to it. Like, I just, I don't know what it was like. It was like I'd revealed something really terrible about myself. Yeah. Like, I had bodies underneath the patio. And, and it was, and again, I suppose in the Northwest, there was a degree of political certainty in the Northwest. It was even further, maybe, than yeah. London at that time. Maybe not so much now. Um, but yeah, they just was. And, and some, some people hadn't met. Well, certainly hadn't met an openly conservative voter. You know, I didn't meet that many in my childhood. Um, when I did, I remember doing um, a, a, a taster tape for a, a comedy idea in about 2017, and there was a panel of comics. And when I said I voted Leave, one of the comics literally stood up. No, didn't reject me, but in shock to express her, her surprise. It's quite dramatic. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a bit dramatic. I mean, once you get to 52% of people, I think yeah. you have to acknowledge the numbers game, right? It's no longer a fringe no, no, view. No, you can disagree with it. You can even think that they're all bigots. But I think to be shocked to meet one is a slightly 
a slightly uh, extreme reaction. But, but in a way, Andrew, they've done me a favour because what, all I am is a very ordinary bloke. Right? I'm not like an edge lord. I'm not edgy at all as a comic. And it's allowed me this world in which what I do can seem refreshing or oh, that's a bit out there. I'm like, is it to, to grown up? So I'm not sure it is. That's because we're inhabiting this comedy community which has a, a definite bias one way. I mean, there's no point in denying that. I hear people deny this all the time, but... You know, you are a rarity. You just are. Yeah, I mean, there are there are there are some of us now, and I think in comedy, look, I I was lucky in a way because when I started talking about my politics, I'd already been on circuit for a long time, so I didn't get too much of a bad reaction. Not, it wasn't like a violent reaction uh, from comics. I think it's certainly been harder for newer comics that come in to yeah. talk about this stuff. I already had long-standing friendships. I'd been away and worked on weekends with people. I'd written on TV shows, so I was. I was, I was certainly I accepted in some quarters, yeah. tolerated in others. I didn't. I'd love to have a story for you whereby I had to get changed in a different green room and stuff. Yeah. But That's annoyingly, nothing like annoyingly, that. Annoyingly, most of them were quite reasonable. And, I, and actually, some really left-wing comics actually gave me tips and people that I could speak to and shows that I could get on. And I really appreciate those people because they're true liberals, you know, true free thinkers. And I think that some. I don't know if the, the bias culturally has really helped the left as well. That's the strange thing, is thinking that you can completely, and look, you know, given where we are, that you can, one worldview can completely occupy one space. Yeah. If you look at the last 11 years of democracy, it hasn't really worked, no. you know, yeah, sort yeah. of stifling a, a voice. So, no, it uh, has the opposite effect, doesn't it? I think it does in the long run, you know. I mean, even like, you know, the, the, the news channel that we're on, the idea for a long time... There's been it's been a source of real tension that there is not a uh, you know the the news seems to come mainstream news seems to come from a liberal left position yeah. that's caused a lot of anger that's pushed people to the fringes of news to potentially getting their news from dark corners of the internet yeah so I think it's really odd to then think that you'd want to strangle like a mainstream news outlet which is Ofcom approved because if you're worried about the rise of the far right then don't do things that push them further in that direction, that give kind of uh, sucker to the idea that there's some sort of conspiracy or cabal. Of course. I mean, that's why we should be bringing people in to have the conversation and not, like you say, sort of uh, helping them find even greater echo chambers, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you think that this is new? Like, I was thinking about this insofar as I remember reading an interview with Roger Scruton, and it must be about 20 years ago, and he was talking about how the problem is that the uh, people on the on the right have always perceived people on the left as just being a bit misguided or stupid but people on the left have always traditionally thought of people on the right as evil and that's really is the distinction i think and i think, I think some do yeah i think some do there is a sense of moral certainty that goes with voting labor but it's got work i mean like you're describing people like the, the couple in the the comedy store yeah. like and that they couldn't be near you like that, that, that you were so kind of toxic they had to remove themselves from the situation but do you think that is something that is getting worse or is it something that's always been there and we're just seeing it more often I, I mean what's that worse i think and during that time it got a lot worse because there was we did we hadn't really discussed echo chambers around 2015 people didn't spoke we didn't know what they were we were just finding out about them i mean the huge shock that Podcaster Ed Miliband didn't become, you know, prime minister of one of the world's biggest economies. It really took people by surprise, <laughs> and, and so it, there was a pattern whereby people felt that they could talk with impunity about people on the other side, and that hadn't really happened in British politics before. You know, you play you play the ball, not the man, but suddenly the electorate were the focus of of contempt. I would argue, and I'm an optimist for things. I think it is getting a bit better. Okay. I think we've had the high watermark of open contempt. There are still some people that want to feel that way. But I think that there's a lot of people, 
um, on the left. Like, for example, I did Richard Herring's podcast the other day, yeah. and he's an example of a person that just wants to have that conversation that's realised uh, electorally it's not really doing the left any good. And I think that's an expanding cohort of people. I hope you're right. I mean, I haven't felt that from my experience. Well, your Twitter feed, I wouldn't imagine you do. No, I don't. I don't. But, and I'm not even an antagonistic person, you know, no. so it's, I, it, I haven't... Not even a conservative. Not even a conservative. No, I know. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah. Maybe if I was a bit more... Just admit it. We all know you that's, are. That's the down. problem. Um, what do you think, though, about, I mean, given that you focus so much on, on class and politics and the intersection of those two things, and, and, you know, and let's face it, we've had the fall of the Red Wall. This is quite a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me because you, you write about this phenomenon and you, you describe it as almost that these people are wrestling with the ghosts of their ancestors in the polling booth because I don't think people fully appreciate the extent of, of what it would take for someone in, the, in these industrial labour heartlands to vote Tory. I think a lot of people are really underestimating that. And you really talk, I mean, you, you actually make the point, you say it's like for many people voting Tory is like putting a cravat on the angel of the north. Yeah, which which actually I think would be quite an interesting artistic statement. Yeah, I was, to be honest, I was just thinking that's actually quite a good little analogy. Nice. There. I was quite happy with that. Did it's, you see me there? I was going, yeah, not bad. Not yeah, bad. it's not not just a good analogy. I think artistically, it would look cravat it would, on the angel of the north. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a hard thing. You know, it's a hard yeah. pull. But I do think one thing that's happened is once you break the seal. You know, like when you've had a couple of pints and you think, I'll leave it till I go to the toilet for the first time. Then once you've gone, you're going all the time. And I notice, like, I would say that the anger from some communities towards the Labour Party, and this is somebody who has his issues with the Labour Party, I think is disproportionate. I think right, the right. anger is shocking. It, it shocks me how people haven't just gone over to the other side. They've turned on the Labour Party. We all want good opposition, but I think that we're a, a long way from that. But might that be because the perception of the Labour Party doesn't match the reality of the Labour Party. I mean, I know that Keir Starmer very much doesn't want to necessarily involve himself too much in the culture wars or whatever we want to call it, but he does a bit. And the perception is that the party is completely obsessed with identity politics. And that probably isn't true, to be fair. Well, I mean, they are, but so are the Tories to an extent. But it's just the problem for them is that a lot more people agree with the Tories' version of it. Right. So if you're going to go get out and wrap yourself in the flag and, you know, be proud of our armed forces and our monarchy, you know, and, and parts of Britain's history, there's a lot more people that want to get on side of that. So it's a simple numbers game. I think the Labour Party initially were invested in the culture wars for a long time. And the Tories have latterly gone, oh, this is an easy win. Because it is for them, isn't it? Well, it they can put a flag where a decent policy should be. It's, it's just about avoiding those major gaffes, because it actually doesn't take much for that perception to form. You know, when Jeremy Corbyn uh, speaks in Loughborough and, and he's charging £10 more for, for white people... Uh, or when Emily Thornberry tweets out that image of the, the van. Uh, and, you know, just those things create, create this sense. It is interesting. It, yeah, those are, those are essential sort of totemic moments, really. Yeah. Or, or the, the, the Gillian Duffy moment. Yeah. It's, people, it's very hard for people to remember, like, big numbers for all of us. Yeah. But, but moments like that. Which that was seemed, massive, the Gillian Duffy thing. That, it, that, it was, because it, it sort of it spoke to a truth that we were all suspicious of is yeah. that there were this party that were kind of like, there was this alliance between working class and middle class, and it was a very patrician sort of alliance, which was, you just return us to power every five years, we'll look after you, but don't ask too many questions. Then I think what happened particularly with Brexit is that, you know, those voters who had dutifully been on the side of the Labour Party for a long time were turned on, you yeah. know, and, and held in contempt by, by a lot of people uh, in city centres who claimed previously that they cared about them. I mean, you make the point that you think a lot of uh, working class communities actually resent this alliance or this sense that voting Labour 
is, is allied with victimhood and the idea that the state needs to look after them and actually people don't like feeling patronized. And, and, and you know, I mean, I think about something that I think a lot of politicians are missing is that there is and always has been a social conservatism to left-wing the, working class people. You know, uh, you know, you read The Road to Wigan Pier yeah. by George Orwell or something, you get this real sense of pride in the community, pride in the tradition. And when there's a perception that the Labour Party is trying to tear that down or denigrate it, mm. of course you end up with this collapse of the Red Wing. They've lost their coalition, haven't they, in, in numerous different ways. And it's just quite simply, there's, there's a perception that the Labour Party are left of the country, like the PLP are quite left of the country, the membership base a bit further momentum a lot further trade unions seem to have lost sense of their old priorities so the old coalition has collapsed for them uh whereas, and it does make it easy i've got to say for the conservatives to do well despite being fairly mediocre yeah at best sometimes <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah. a great position to be in where you've got you know you've got very small amount of smooth operators in this conservative government and yet quite rightly you know they're ahead in the polls because maybe i mean i think this is something that we haven't given enough attention to as a country simply the Tories paying people's wages for a while. I think it was the right thing to do, even yeah. as a libertarian. You stop people working, you've got to pay them if you yeah, say you legally yeah. can't work, right? But people were told for a long time that this kind of thing would never happen. And then suddenly, they're in their current account every month is, is government-funded money. This is another thing that the left will have to kind of absorb. And all the current debate is about red wall and stuff that's happening in the past. Whereas I wonder, the recent elections and the polling are about stuff that's happening right now. Now, whether or not you think that the NHS has been overprotected or underfunded in the past, it's certainly been prioritised in the moment, arguably to a fault. So two of these old certainties, where the Tories are evil, they, they snatched your milk, but they did snatch the milk, but it was a period when they paid the wages as well. Yeah. So the left have to get to grips with that. But the good, the good news for the left is that the Tories are no good in, in kind of like taking ownership of good things that they've done. So they're great at defending themselves, but they'd never be able to say... Well, we did pay your wages because they're sort of uncomfortable about it. A bit ashamed of it. And it's a bit too socialist, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but whereas Labour will be like, Labour paid your wages. Yeah. That would be a slogan. Whereas as the Tories say, the Tories paid your wages, people are like, all right, damn, all right, all right, mate. Jeez, yeah, it's my taxes. You'd, you'd sort of have a slightly defensive reaction to it. So yeah. it's interesting. Can we talk a bit about class? Because so much of your book revolves around this. And, you know, you grew up in... Wimbledon, but, you know, people associate Wimbledon with sort of the posher... Yeah, people always go, you say Wimbledon, people go, oh, Wimbledon, it's one of those things. Yeah. You go, yeah, it had a greyhound track. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, I lived near a football ground, you know what I mean? Like, I was on a council estate, so... But we were near some of the most expensive real estate in the world, so it was a sort of schizophrenic place to live. Yeah, and then you're into Mitcham, which you describe as a place you drive through on the way to Croydon... Which, yeah. which, is, which is about all I know about it as well. So I, know, you know, I don't want to like because there's things I love about Mitchum. It's such a oh god, this is going to sound really middle class and patronising. It. It's such an honest place, Andrew. It's such <laughs> an honest place, but it does have as well, which I think is unique. Is it is one of the few places I've ever known that's had a McDonald's that shut down, a, a town centre McDonald's that went. You I've know never what? heard of that. I don't think anyone has. I don't think Ronald McDonald himself has ever <laughs> heard of that. But. They just said, you know what, I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that's almost like impressive shit. Impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you went to Goldsmiths College I did, yeah. in the mid to late 90s. So now, again, I'm quoting you here because you describe it as full of toy town revolutionaries trying to save Cuba, Wales and rainforests. And you, you, you joke more than once about having a chip on your shoulder. Was that the sort of first time that you, were, you found yourself as kind of the, the, the lone working class person? Yeah. 
And, 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 and do you still have that chip on your shoulder? I do, I think. I have a lot of imposter syndrome. Up till that point, you know, even when we lived on the council estate, you know, there's a lot of times people encouraging me to overdo it with the we were poor stuff. We weren't poor, to my mind, because I saw what poor was. There were a couple of times where it was really close to the breadline, but mostly we survived. And then, you know, you go to a comprehensive all-boys school in South London, there's people with more, there's people with less. But I got to Goldsmith, and I was definitely the fucking stig of the group. I mean, that's an old word, stig. I, I think of stick of the dump. Is that yeah, I mean, that was an insult when I grew up. Oh, I, wasn't I was like, everyone, oh. I remember there was one point when we were t- everyone was talking about what, what are they doing for recess and they were sitting there going for recess and then oh, I'm, going, I'm going to see my dad in like Saudi and I'm going to see my dad. All of them seem to have dads that worked in the Middle East, right? It's just being really left wing. And I was like, I'm working at the post office. Yeah. That's my recess. Um, actually, it's a funny story. When they were talking about going to see their dad in Saudi, I didn't know that in Saudi was an abbreviation for like Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. So I thought in Saudi was like incognito. Yeah. So I was sitting there going, oh yeah, in Saudi. He's in yeah. Saudi. Yeah, okay. But that's a, good, that's a good example though, isn't it? It's something that's so alien yeah. to your experience that you just, you just inevitably end up misinterpreting it. And a reference it. point for in Saudi. Yeah. Or when they started talking about it's, sabbaticals. I mean, this is like a, a class imposter thing because you go, sabbaticals, how good at your job, how well paid have you got to be before an employer goes, oh, do you know what? Go and learn piano. You've got to, yeah. You're, I mean, working class people don't have sabbaticals. I, no. I think that's no. a fair point. No wonder they live longer. Just go, <laughs> oh, yeah, just go and learn a skill. Just sit in the garden. Essentially, sabbaticals were like middle class furlough before furlough was even invented. Yeah. So let's, let's consider comedy for a little bit. Um, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this. So, you know, you've, you've made the point, uh, quite honestly, that coming out as conservative and doing all of that has been beneficial to your career. Eventually. I mean, there's a long but, period where it wasn't, but eventually. Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you talk about that first gig where you did it yeah. and, and there was a critic in and you were very nervous about it. And, and you also talk about being openly a Leave voter at the Edinburgh Fringe. So I, I had a similar experience because I, when the Leave vote happened, that Edinburgh, a couple of months later, I also did a show in which I was open about my support of Brexit. I remember, yeah. And, and I had to write the show so that I didn't tell them straight away. And you mentioned, you mentioned this in the book as well. I thought, oh, this really resonates. because Stick knew, it at the end, yeah. Well, you have to because <laughs> this is an arts festival. You know that 99% of the people in that audience have... Because it was at that moment of hysteria where everyone who voted Leave was perceived as racist and stupid and evil to a kind of white heat of hatred. Yeah. And, and so you had to get them on side for the first half hour of the show. I, I dropped the bomb sort of halfway through and then had to get them back. And then oh, by the end, brave. it was fine. Halfway through is brave. Well, I had to because it was sort of what the show Mine was about. Mine was the last five minutes. I mean, I'll be honest, I had done, and I admit this in the book, I didn't have very many good jokes on this. And I, that's probably okay. why I left it to the end. But I just thought, you know, there was so much contempt for leave foes at that time I simply wanted to say it because yeah. I hope that if people thought well I've spent nearly an hour this book it doesn't seem hateful you know maybe we're a bit off on this but it is um, yeah I mean it, it, it was tense every single night at uh, that moment yeah. I used to get you know stomach knots thinking about it did you ever get a bad reaction? bad reaction yeah I had a walk out which you can still see on hear, listen to on YouTube to this day one woman Really, well, kicked off in a very middle class sort of way. Like, you know, look, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sorry. Okay. I'm just sorry. I haven't heard, I must check this out. That's no, great. No, no, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. If you just go to my YouTube channel yeah, yeah. and uh, Heckler walks out and, um, and it was funny because she sort of made the point that if something's wrong, you stay and sort it out. Yeah. Fair point. But then she left. You know, well, you haven't really followed through your own no, logic. Not really. But then her missus, right? Her girlfriend was there and I think that she was expecting 
her girlfriend to just walk out of her in a flourish, but then her girlfriend didn't. So she had to open the door to the venue and go, sorry, really sorry. And then she went really middle class. It's like, uh, uh, babe, babe, are you going to come That's as well? embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. That's like having a round, you've forgotten your bag or something, you have to come back in the room. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it was fun because you know what Edinburgh audiences are like. Yeah. They're always waiting for the cutest heart, like, oh, it's a ruse, it's a yeah. setup. Like, yeah, nothing yeah. spontaneous has ever happened. Uh, in their lives, but it, it remained a really tense thing to talk about. You know, every tour show, every mass report thing that I did, and and even recently, you know, I did that Richard Heron podcast thing live, and I could sense when we spoke about Brexit, people were tense. And the truth is, you have to just accept that there were people that characterised Brexit votes badly, but yeah. it also it did take something from them. You know, freedom of movement. I think now I'm definitely in a more conciliatory mood where I'm like, okay, you know, if you, if you got the outcome you wanted, you have to understand a bit. That, that those things were important to people. And, yeah. I, and I hope that the medium to long-term future reassures them. But it, I'm more in a sped space now of like, as long as they don't call me a stupid racist, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm willing, you know, I'm hoping to be more conciliatory. I think that's the right approach. I mean, I, don't, I, I know that I, I did describe it as a kind of hysteria. I do stand by that. But that doesn't mean that the, the emotions weren't sincerely felt. I mean, I, I made the mistake the day after the Brexit vote of, of, of saying on Facebook something like, Basically, if you've been calling everyone a bigot for voting, for thinking differently, then you're the real bigot here. And uh, which was quite confrontational for me. I don't normally do that, but I was just kind of sick of it. And I just got piled on by it. And I lost a lot of friends on Facebook almost immediately. It's yeah. the wrong time to do that. Well, I think, I think, you, I think anyone that you <laughs> lost over Brexit was worth losing, if you know what I mean. You think? If someone, if like all it took was for you to point out the hypocrisy of that view. No, I mean, yeah, I, I had that. But, I mean, I t- sorry, but if they genuinely believe that you are this evil racist nuts, because you pointed out that someone... You saw some social media post from a comedian friend yeah. saying it's all racist. Anyone who voted this way was a racist. Yeah, yeah. And it was liked by a number because you made the mistake of checking who liked it. Well, my wife it. wisely said to me, I was working on a writing job in London. I got up in the morning yeah. right, and it had all sort of kicked off. And my wife said to me, just look, just don't go on social media today. Yeah. Right? And I was like, okay. So I looked, I saw that post and it was, and it was some. And then I thought, I'll just see who's liked it. And honestly... It was like... Your closest mate. Yeah, well, there's lots of people I knew well and worked with and was due to work with very shortly. But one thing I've learned, you know, in terms of uh, those big events is that you do have to give a bit of space, maybe 10 days to two weeks, yeah. for people to just go nuts. When big stuff happens, people go really crazy and say really daft things. And I, I hope that I wouldn't do that, but... I think that you can, if, there's, if he's still saying that six months after, then I think that's a problem. I think people have calmed down to a degree. I've, yeah. I, I've even had one friend who was no, he severed all ties and now we're friends again. So, you know, there is that possibility mm-hmm. of coming back. I suppose my scepticism about it was always none of these people really cared or even knew about the EU before 2016. And now they're painting their faces in the EU flag. I don't, I don't, they, I think they got caught up in something. We with, all did though. I mean, like, I was yeah, like, sure. I mean, I had no solid views on a customs union before, but then I was like, I want out. I want out of this bloody, oh, I'm, sick, against it. I'm sick of the customs union. I didn't really know what it was until Brexit happened, but then suddenly I was absolutely, I mean, yeah, we, we adopted identities we, we, Brexit pulled us into a very strange place politically as a country. And I hope now that some of the worst dystopian predictions about Brexit clearly haven't happened. Some may still happen, but yeah. there's a bit of dust settling and we can just move on. Hopefully. I hope you're right. Um, about left and right wing comedy. So there's, there's always every couple of weeks, there's always an article about right-wing comedy yeah. or left-wing comedy. You make a really good point in the book about there isn't really such a thing as a left-wing joke or a right-wing joke because you never, uh, you don't take the piss out of things that you approve of. 
So, there, yeah. so it doesn't really work, does it? No, you can't. Though. So people often challenge you and say, all right, right-wing comedian, do a right-wing joke then. But you go, well, we, what you mean is make, be, be funny about something that I agree with. But left-wing right. comedy has never done that, right? It's impossible to say, to, make, to actually get a laugh from saying, I think the NHS is great. You might get a round of applause, Right. There's a lot of that that goes on. Yeah, there's a lot of that, but uh, it's impossible to do. Comedy is always about taking the mickey out of something, interrogating something that you find odd or objectionable, right? And even observational comedy does that. But what I, what I tend to sense when people say stuff like that is really they just simply don't like the idea of right-wing comedy existing. So they're trying to find ways. I Maybe they compare it to Jim Davidson or Roy Chubby Brown or, or you know, bring in the punching up argument, or, or they'll interrogate your character. All I take from that is that they do not accept that you know the existence of this wing of comedy yeah. within comedy. So I just sort of think well, there's not much point chatting to those people. I think it's sort of out of touch, though, isn't it? Because the number of times I see Bernard Manning invoked as the example of, of right wing yeah. comedy, it's like he's he's been well, dead a long time. What I like, do, Andrew? I want to be the go to lazy reference for right wing comedian. Yeah, I'm you should be. Near, I'm nowhere near it, mate. You see, like Jim Davidson. He's still solidly. There was there was a post recently. Lawrence Fox and Richard Tice said something about like a right wing comedy night yeah. or something. Immediately, Jim Davidson trended, absolutely top. But no, he's number one. You, you've got to you've got to you're going to push it. You've got to be more reactionary. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're too likable. You've got to too be. Nice. I mean, the thing is, is it's really important to me. Like one, there's no great sense of mission to any of this. But I think people don't really get anything out of thinking a large group of other people are terrible human beings. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think it's important for me not to be all those negative things that they say. Yeah. And, and generally I am. Of course we all have our bad days, you know, and you think we have a rant about something. But I, I sort of tend to save that for the podcast. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I mean, I saw Jim Davidson's show at Edinburgh. When, do you remember when he came up to the Edinburgh Fringe? Oh, yeah, yeah. It had was, a really cool title. What was it called? It was, oh, it was, it was about the, the false accusations against yeah, him. Yeah. And I can't remember. No what Further was. Action. No Further Action, yeah, yeah. But that was like a really Edinburgh title as well. Well, not only it? that. Yeah. It, firstly, it was a really good show. It, it, it did something really interesting. It was a really sort of um, the kind of show that actually Edinburgh critics would normally like. Because oh, really? it was about something very serious. It was quite emotional as well, yeah. but also just very funny um and i met him and he was really nice and he wasn't this thing that that people yeah. had, had sort of portrayed i've him never to be. met him you know and i didn't see that show and i'd say you know he's not generally my, my cup of tea but yeah. i but i think that the idea that, that he's a touchstone for right-wing political comedy i just i think i think it's a reach i think it's a way of trying to shut down something that people don't want to exist and like you say like it, it you know, the, the, the idea that, are there any left-wing comics even? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this, the, the comics I know. Hmm. A lot of the comics I know, they're, they, they're sort of, they're interested in fame and wealth. I mean, which isn't a particularly Marxist aspiration, is it? Well, I think that, you know, I think a lot of what gets called left-wing comedians would be sort of centre-left. In the same way that I'm centre-right, but for the purpose of dialogue and discourse. Yeah. You, everyone wants it to be more, more binary. But I think that in terms of like a, a proper hard left comic, you know, they do exist. Someone like Alistair Beckett King, yeah. I think it's a really interesting comic. You know, Ed, Ed Knight, he's probably got a, re- a recommendation for me. I don't know how he'll feel about I, that. I think you're right. There, there are some who, who genuinely have those views, but I think most don't really. I think most, I get the impression that most really know what the high status opinion is. Mm. And, 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 and they, they also have, there is a perception on the circuit that if you do uh, take a particular stance, it does kind of curtail your opportunities later on. I think. Well, I mean, you're I'm, the exception, I think. This yeah, is what I, mean, I mean, the problem for me in that is that then I wonder if I'd be speculating on their motives in the same way that other people speculate on mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm not speculating about them. I mean, I'm, I'm drawing yeah. from 
what people have told me. Oh, right, from those who've literally told you. Yeah, like pretty much. Yeah, I I think I would say one thing about being a left-wing comic now is I would, in the the early days of what I did, I think it was harder. Yeah. harder. I think now it's easier to be on the side of comedy I am because there is a kickback against familiar tropes. You know, a lot of... Twitter's got some hilarious people. So so when you're doing comedy coming from a left-wing angle, you're going up against a much bigger portion of social media. That's true. So the capacity to be original and funny is, is a lot harder, whereas this side of the fence, whatever it is, yeah. un, you know, contrarian, unwoke, right-wing, whatever, it's less well-populated. Well, it, There's I, just a few more bits of uh, fruit. I mean, saying that, I do still get messages from people saying, I wish I could say what I want to say. I, I, oh, I get or, those, or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's what I mean by I'm not intuiting the motive. I've seen it in my inbox. Oh, no, no, and I mean, it's, it, it's, it, but that to me is, is kind of because there's something about your book where effectively, when you do finally decide to tell these jokes, and I think it's your wife who, who made the suggestion, yeah, yeah. Just, just talk about the fact that you're yeah, a Tory voting comic. Because right? it's, it's funny. an oddity. Yeah, it's a, um, but, but that honesty, there's a sense in your book that actually it's incredibly liberating. I mean, I always advise people just to talk about what they know and be honest about it because it's actually artistically if you want to be poncy about it it's a bit more it's a bit more interesting it, you know it, it is more interesting and I think that you're right in what you highlight it would be a lot helpful for certain dialogues if those left wing people that direct message you and me on certain subjects this is real by the way but we can't say the names no no and you wouldn't you know they're yeah. entitled to that. it would yeah. really help the dialogue if those people entered the public dialogue it would. because it, it wouldn't would. make it seem like there was us lot you know, trainee gammons just wanging on about the same old stuff about cancel culture and realise that actually some of those views are more widely shared. It's a shame because it's a reminder, and I think it's something we've got to get to grips with more, is that we are all, you know, I mean, non-binary is the phrase. Politically, we've all got a patchwork of opinions that, you know, they might might predominantly come from one side. But here's one thing I always think. Left-wing people, right? Somebody, if somebody litters, everyone becomes right wing on law and order. If you see some litter, yeah. you show me a person. If you if you see like a whole park that's been left with like takeaway stuff, everyone is a little bit hang and flog them. Oh at yeah, that point. the most lefty comic I know. I, I actually passed him, and someone had stuffed some litter in a tree. Yeah, and his rage—it was like they're just scum, and it was straight away like that was. <laughs> that's a, the test. Maybe that's the test of whether you're truly liberal or law and order. Yeah, to just come outside your house in the morning, have loads of McDonald's, and yeah. fag packets or whatever. All kids as well with children. Like who was it? Made I think it was Simon Evans made the point to me that people are quite right wing with their when it comes to their own children. I mean, you 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 talk about when you were a teacher. And you became a supply teacher. And you talk about like going in the book, that is, you, you're talking about going from school to school. And what you realise is actually the best schools were the ones where they yeah, were strictest. Just, yeah, just really simple. I mean, I, I don't have certainty on a lot of things. That's partly what the book is about. Yeah. But, but I, you know, I simply think when you're, it's really hard being a teenager. It's really confusing. And what you need is grown-ups to be responsible on your behalf and say, this is how you do it. You wear that uniform, you arrive at this time, there'll be punishments for this. And, and you, you know, I mean, one of the things that happened is I was teaching during the era of trendy teaching and then yeah, the yeah. increasing move to, let's just, you know, let's just have one of the pupils in on the interview for the new position for a member of staff. Like, are you mental? Like, yeah. no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, they do your job. Do your job. You're, you're a grown-up, you know. So I don't think it's, if I'm, as a student, Sitting in on an interview, I'm, I'm not sure I'm totally objective. And I know that if people are left-wing listening to this, they'll go, oh, you know, there's some amazing teenagers. There are. But like most things, 
most human behaviour is fairly predictable. I can give you evidence of that. I, when I was interviewed at a school, they did that. They got the sixth form, about eight or nine sixth form boys to sit yeah. there and interview me. And because it was for a drama teacher role, yeah. one of them said, right, pretend you're a tree, act like a tree. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the, it, what they wanted was to humiliate. And also, you weren't a hot woman, so I'd imagine you were slightly... I was hot. not a hot woman. Did you get the job? I, I did get the job, and in spite of my reluctance to participate in their tree ant- antics. Also, I can't interview. Oh, I see. So you won their respect by going... Maybe. You know you can do Or maybe the they didn't really have any role in the actual decision. It was more like a kind of thing yeah, just well, to make them feel that's better. That's a problem, isn't it? You know, that's a problem when things are done for cosmetic... Yeah, uh, to, to say you know when they speak to the governors or Ofsted, yeah, yeah. they can then go actually at this school, <laughs> a lot of this happens at schools. We actually have a, a student council uh, which has no power at all, but it makes us feel good. None at all. Um, did you? Why do you think there's so many comics who are teachers? There's loads. I think there's a lot of comics that were a lot of things. I suppose there are a lot of teachers. Is the other thing, right? You know, it's like it's like saying you know comics have worked in the NHS. It just simply is a bigger employer of people. But I think it probably r- tracks the life course doesn't it of oh i think i'm a bit clever i'll do a degree oh i don't know what to do with a degree i'll just float i better do something with a degree i'll be a teacher and then going oh, i can't do this for the rest of my life yeah well i always thought there's also the thing that you get time off for edinburgh the edinburgh fringe you know as a teacher yeah. you do get the summer off you That's get july and there actually originally <laughs> yeah. the original six-week holiday is a blessed thing. I mean, it's funny, you know, when you're in the profession and there's that 12-week holiday. Yeah. And I, I was not always popular because I felt that we had enough time to do our job. Yeah, that's, that's the most controversial thing you say in the book, that teachers need to stop whinging because they've got plenty of time. You don't quite say that. I'm no, not... no, but they're right. There was, it's one of the moaniest professions I've ever worked <laughs> in. It just, like, all the meetings in the morning would be people... It was so unbelievably parochial where people would be going, oh, yeah, my year 11s, my year 9s and stuff. And I'd be looking down at my watch going... What about just going and teaching? What about, you know, like, we don't need to have, like, a support group every single morning in yeah. staff briefing. And you'll know from the job as well, there's just serial offenders that always want to have their little say. I just I can't, I can't stand moaning. I'm moaning now about moaning. You can moan, you can moan now. Those, yeah, those staff meetings were quite interminable. There's always someone who would want to go on and on. Yeah, and you're, like, you're as new. I mean, there's a lot of jobs. It doesn't matter what job you do, the, any other business moment. There's some people that just need to be kicked out of the room at, at that point. Just just do the thing rather than talking about the thing. It's like discussions about depression at the moment. It's like I'm very pro people talking about men, uh, mental health, particularly men at the moment. There's obvious reasons to do that. But often when people do it, it takes the form of people just saying, oh, it's, it's taboo, isn't it? It's a very sensitive subject. It's very brave you to talk about it. Like, forget all this guff. Talk about it in a practical way. What can you do? What's helpful? And you often get celebrities go on telly. And they tend to report back from a hero stance, which is not, oh, right, I'm really depressed right now. Last night, I was trying to wallpaper the house with dead skin. I'm really off my head, right? No, it's, it's always, well, two years ago, I was in the darkest place I've ever been. And now I've won a BAFTA. And that's a hero story. That's no good to anyone. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to, don't just talk about how taboo it is, because actually, it's not anymore. Is it? It's hard to talk about, but that's not the same as it being taboo. So use all that time to give practical advice. And one of the things I always say to blokes is like, in the morning, if you've got some mad stuff in your head, write it down. Yeah. You know, just morning pages, just simple. Something, that's that's every, actually a really good, the, the act of writing something, reasoning it through. Yeah, mornings are terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wake up, ah, just, just write it down. And that'll help. That already is more important than someone who's in some kind of like 9pm drama. Yeah, yeah. That was happening seven years ago. Did you get anything out of writing down your experiences for this book and actually sort of reasoning through what 
Have, did you did you change your realization about yourself, or is it? Um, did, did you just confirm what you already knew? Well, the truth knew? was, truth was, I really wanted to say, yeah, I, I learned Andrew. And I, I, that's what I want that kind of Oprah moment. Yeah, I know. I, I, I think it, I, I think I had quite a sort of um, decisive route that I wanted to go through with it because I planned it a lot. I got a lot of stories uh, and viewpoints together. One thing that was uh, came through with it is like there was a reckoning of my relationship with my father. I yeah. think that. Anyone who read it would just see it was an understanding of him because he was a very maverick and off the wall sort of person. Yeah. But the process of the book brought me, you know, oh here we go, brought me closer to him. That's what I needed. That yeah. that shot there. That's yeah. the open moment. That's the clip. It brought me closer I, to I got the you memory to share. of my old man. That's, <laughs> that's lovely. Um, and it genuinely is actually. I'm saying like a really nasty, cynical piece of work. But this is the problem with people with our mindset. We feel really uneasy about saying stuff that really matters. We're like, both of us feel unclean now. Let's <laughs> yeah, go to exactly. the shower. You have to say something flippant to undermine it. Yeah, let's um, say something about lefties. Get back in the room. We're going to have to wrap up. I just want to um, just to bring it back to comedy, to bring it back to this idea of honesty mm. and, to, and, and the comedy climate at the moment. There is, again, I'll say a perception um, that a lot of comedians feel they have to self-censor. They're not entirely giving it their all on certain perhaps sensitive topics. Yeah. Jennifer Saunders the other day in an interview. Oh, she's absolutely said, spot on. I mean, just to let people know what she said, she said that basically Absolutely Fabulous would never be made today, that there's too much pressure on creatives not to make jokes about things that might cause offence. You, mm. you think she's right? Well, I think, like, obviously the press zero did on AbFab wouldn't get made today. And we love it. Yeah. It's a national treasure. We can't think of a world where that programme doesn't exist. I think what was interesting was what she said about self-censoring. I think from a creative point of view, that's the most important thing. And we all do it. And we're on the side of comedy that's supposed to get on the front foot and yeah. just tell it like it is. I, I, I self-edit. I hate to admit it, but I do it. And I think if I'm doing it, how much is that going on with people further left of me and in general across the industry? And I think one thing that shocks me about someone like Jennifer Saunders and the reaction to her is that she is like in that a feminist icon in comedy, right? With that first wave of when it was so male dominated. And then yet she says that and people were so free to dismiss somebody. And you think in all the different ways she's worked in comedy and all the achievements She's got, do you not think she's worth listening to? She's not some kind of like late night phone in ranter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's Jennifer Saunders. I think you need to listen. But some of the reaction I've seen has been precisely that. Oh, well, yeah. then you're a reactionary. And because there, there is this idea, isn't there, that if you're saying you self censor as a comic, you're wary of, t- they say, well, oh, it's because you want to just be racist and homophobic. Of course, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, I don't know any comedians who fall into that category. I couldn't no. find you a racist, homophobic comic. That doesn't really exist. Now, there might be a few. I don't know them, though. Mm. On the whole, it's people want to be able to joke about really difficult things because that's what comedians have always done. Like when there's a serious yeah, not, issue. To not be held in bad faith. That's one of the right, things that I, that I find is that you come at a subject and it's presumed that the attack is against any victims within that subject, rather than exploring a point of view, your own inconsistencies, taking the mickey out of yourself. That, that's what I find so bad, is, is, is how quickly people can hold you in bad faith. And, you know, we've got a culture where people selectively edit things. You know, they can yeah. get an 18-second clip and go, well, there you go. And yeah. so it begins. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is exactly what we are expecting from Norcott. And, and I think that that is a problem in the creative process. It's, it's one that I face, so God knows how other people. When, when I see you do some stand-up and, and there's that 
a bit you've done about L- the LGBT community. Do you ever get a sense in the audience? Oh, where's he going with this? Is this going to be all right, or is he going to? Yeah, go well, on? I suppose it's about the ac- the ever expanding acronym. But I felt that I was, you know, and that's been acknowledged by the LGBT plus. The community itself came up with a plus because they said this has got. Well, we've forgotten what the rest of the letters are. Basically. Well, I think that the plus was like, okay, we're starting to look a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Here. Let's, just, let's just say plus, and that's and that covers everything. That's everybody else, you know. And I think that you know my angle on that was was it was LGBT is a really good acronym, you know. It, it just scans and and all the identities within it people can understand what those relate to and stuff so so once you start expanding it yeah. it just struck me as it was one of those things in a meeting where someone just said maybe we should add this and because no one wants to shut anyone down and they want to be inclusive it took maybe a, a 18 months of ridicule before they went let's just stick a plus on it yeah well the, the fact that you're saying lgbt and not lgbtqia tells me you're a horrible i did bigot. but i just used you a did... plus to me yeah, that okay in my I, mind i, I was channeling a, through no plus. you need to be a better ally than that <laughs> um thanks for coming on jeff it's been really great to talk to you you've got anything coming up that you want to talk about have you got any tours well, obviously or the book is out by the book the tour is coming out yes. uh, in september and there'll be stuff, you know, we talk about stuff to do with politics, but stuff also from the book. Yeah. That's called I Blame the Parents. And then there's the weekly podcast, which is what most people think, which you have been. I think you've appeared on it more than anyone else. Have I? You? Not that this is some sort of incestuous thing here. <laughs> yeah, we're just helping out our mates. That's yeah. all this is. Uh, but buy the book. Buy the book. It's really good. Free Speech Nation with me, Andrew Doyle, and my guest, Jeff Norcott. If you feel so inclined, please leave a review, like, and subscribe. And if you enjoyed it, please do tell your friends. And if you didn't enjoy it, well, you're probably a cretin who doesn't have any friends, so it doesn't matter. See you next time.